Last week we were looking at a theme um, that we'd asked the question about who do you want to become in 2015? In fact, it's the question we're asking of the uh, NCR, New Community, right here. Who does God want us to become in 2015 and beyond? And so last week we talked about a whole theme to do with vision. And uh, today, if you want to travel with us, you can look up on Luke, um, Youth Version in the Bible. It's a free app. It's a brilliant resource, but you can travel with us. Vision is this thing which says, it wakes you up in the morning and dares you to dream about the future and what things could be. And as we travelled with Jesus last week, we realised that he had a vision for his world. If I could summarise it in, in one sort of paraphrase, Mark chapter 1, verse 15, uh, it goes, my words, something like this, God. The creator of heaven and earth is fulfilling his ancient promise to put the world right through his son, Jesus, and you are welcome to be part of this glorious vision. So do an about face before it's too late. Clean yourself up with God by taking hold of Jesus with all you've got and allow his life to infuse all of yours so that others will see that you're not just play acting, but that God's alive in you and his forgiving, restorative power is available for all. Wow, that's a big kind of vision. And Jesus went around the countryside and, and he um, cast this vision and he lived it out in remarkable, remarkable ways. But behind every vision, there's another driving thing that swings your feet out of bed in the morning time and dares you to keep on going even when there's times in which you feel like giving up. So last week we talked about the dream. This week, I want to uncover and connect with this thing called the desire. If there's another word for it in our modern day terms, it would be mission. That's what this series Utopia is all about, trying to do nation building. And they had a dream of what they could do, but their mission and how they worked that self out was kind of a little bit hazy and you kind of get the drift of it from there. The series just continued to unpack their incompetencies along the way. But behind every vision, for every dream that there is, there seems to be this deep resonance within a mission or a desire, a motive that wants and makes you get up in the morning time and swing your legs out of bed and say, today is the day that I want to continue to do this thing, even if it's in the midst of adversity. Last week, I shared a story with you about my daughter who'd been casting vision for a room. It was a study in our household. And she saw it as a room and, and she believed that it would be best for her if she lived apart from her sister and that the two of them would get along so much more better in the household, there'd be far more harmony if she could occupy this study. And so she cast vision for months and there was a day in which Bron caught onto that dream and she said, you know what, I dream this dream with you. I so want to do this that let's in the next day and a half we're going to paint the inside of this room and we can move things out and move things in and we can get it done. But the kind of person I am, I realise that the inside can be painted but if the outside isn't matching, then it's kind of out of place. And I knew that there was a few boards on the outside of this room that kind of needed replacing. I thought that it was just the water that was sucking in on the side and so when you have water sucking in, it just hasn't been sealed enough and, and so I thought there's a few boards that I need to lift and once I've lifted those boards and replaced the weatherboards, then we'll all be fine, top coat of paint, done. Well, the day came and I was going to do this external sort of fascia of the house and I lifted off a few of the boards and, and I noticed that there was this 
fungus-like disease or that was on some of the boards. I thought, that's unusual. It's fungus. It's growing. It's not water sucking. And so I lifted off a few boards and I noticed that each of the boards that were connecting had that same fungus on them. And that when I touched those boards, the kind of board disintegrated. And I thought to myself, I should call in one of our builders from NCR just to get some advice. And there's a few around about and Jean happened to be close. So I said, would you mind if you come up and can you just tell me what this water substance is? And he got there in the afternoon and he said to me, you know what, in, in our profession we have a name for this which you have happening to the, the noggins as well as the vertical things that I call those vertical things. That's uh, in industry term. And uh, those vertical things that he said, uh, that fungus that's growing on it, we call it dry rot. I said, what does that do? It's kind of dry and it rots. And if you don't stop it, if you don't cut out the source of it and try and get to all the other places that it's moving to, sooner or later you won't have a house. And I thought, brilliant. Have you ever started a project that's grown? Anyone here? We were just going to paint the inside because someone was casting vision. They had this deep dream And you have to remind yourself once you've lifted off all of the external boards on both sides of that dwelling and exposed everything and cutting out things that vertical timbers called the... Those vertical timbers and all the other noggins to actually replace them because you don't want your house. Have you ever had a... And you are there in the midst of it because this didn't take a day. This took days. We are asking yourself, why am I doing this? Why do I bother doing this? It's in those times that if you don't have a driving mission, if you don't have a driving desire, that the chances are you'll slap on some paint, you'll put over the the weatherboards and you'll forget about the dry rot that is slowly infiltrating your house. You get me? We need to have a desire and a why. What this morning I want to do is talk about not vision but mission because behind every vision there is a powerful mission if you're going to hang in there in the hard times. Mission, a one-sentence statement that describes the reason an organisation or program exists. You see, behind the whole idea of mission is that it answers the question, why? Why do I bother getting up in the morning? Why do I bother facing adversity? And at the heart of every mission statement, there is a passion and a desire that drives it forward. Do you know that Jesus had a mission? What I'd like to do in the time we have this morning is just to be able to engage with this in brief moments together, that we might connect with his desire. Because if we're asking the question, what might NCR look like beyond 2015 and in your life, what is the founder's mission in the first place? Three things I want to connect to. First of all, there's three sections that I want to look at very briefly this morning. Mark chapter 1. This is what it said, what he wrote about Jesus in the very beginning of his ministry He writes these words, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon, this is the person who we know as Simon Peter or Peter or St. Peter, and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said to him, hey, everyone is looking for you. The place you should be, Jesus, after the powerful things you did yesterday is back with everyone else because words got out and they're coming and they're asking us, And we kind of feel a little bit foolish that we don't even know where you are. 
And so they come to get Jesus to bring him back so he can do his Jesus things. And this is how he responds. He replied, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too because that's why I came. If you pressed in at Jesus and you asked him, why do you bother doing what you do? There seems to be a desire, a motive behind all of his remarkable deeds. In fact, Jesus seemed compelled to go to reach beyond. Let's pick this up in Luke chapter 5. If you want to follow with us this morning. Jesus is encountering and about to encounter something in that culture that only the outcast, only people would look at this and say, this is outrageous. And this is how the story interaction goes. One of the villages Jesus met, in one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. Let's just pause there for a moment. Leprosy in this context may not be the leprosy that we know today. Leprosy in this word was used to cover a whole range of different skin diseases. And what we find out about this particular man is that he had an advanced case. Some versions say full. He was full of this skin disease. Now, if you know anything about that culture at that time, there were strict laws, kind of like our hygiene laws that we take for granted today, to prevent skin diseases like this spreading. So they had their own contamination rules. What you would have to do if you had any skin rash is that you would need to check it out and observe it and that if it was starting to grow, you would need to quarantine yourself outside the community. So instantly you would be separated from the community, living away until you either got better or worse. And this man has been getting worse to the extent that it says he is full of it. Family members would not be able to make any contact. You might leave some food and then you would retreat and the person would come and take their food. They would live apart from you. They would dwell apart from you. In fact, a person with a skin disease like this would have to cover his face tear his clothes, not cover his head so other people knew that there was a problem and he would have to call out from distances the word, the phrase, unclean. He'd have to shout it out from his voice to let everyone know, unclean. In other words, stay away, I have an infectious skin disease and you could become unclean too. And so the idea of this was to separate the disease from the culture. The story goes on. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. And this man's taking a risk right here. Because he not only stays away, it seems as though he's come up close. Maybe he's heard that there's a man doing profound God-like things and he sees it as his last chance, his only chance. You can imagine a person in this situation being so isolated, alone, filled with fear. Am I going to be like this for the rest of my days? He draws close to Jesus and he begs him. He bows to the ground and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Now, this is the outrageous moment. Because if Jesus is a God man, at this moment, everyone would understand that he should back off and step away like everyone else would have been. But instead, Jesus does something outrageous. He reaches out his hand and he touches the man. You see, Jesus isn't just interested in physical well-being, but emotional well-being, spiritual well-being. It was at that moment that the disease doesn't come to him and contaminate him or infect him. In fact, the opposite happens. In that moment, the disease is removed. People would be astounded. Look at his hands, check them over again. Has it really happened? 
Jesus hasn't been contaminated, he's healed this person. The first time he's welcoming him back into community, back into connection with God, back in connection with other people. He's no longer unclean, but he's clean. You can imagine the man. Jesus says to him, go and show yourself to the priest as a sign to them that God is on the move. You see, Jesus had this uncanny ability. It seemed that he could suspend judgment about a particular person and not see what it was on the external, but seem to have a motive that drives him towards the internal past it. There is a motive behind Jesus' vision casting. There's something that drives his mission, gets him to swing his feet out of the morning time. And the people are about to encounter what that is. Because by the time Luke gets to chapter 15, there's so much word that has got out that people are now starting to ask, why, why, why do you do what you do? I mean, aren't you concerned about being contaminated? If you wanted to be a right, righteous man, don't you know you should stay away from that stuff? And finally, it gets to a point where people start to grumble and get mad. Because Jesus isn't behaving the way they believe he should. Story goes like this, Luke chapter 15. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It's interesting, often came. There was something about Jesus, his ability to suspend judgment on people, that they were actually drawn to him. The tax collectors were the ones who worked for pagan Rome They were the Gentile people that you should have no contact with, so tax collectors were despised. But other notorious sinners. Anyone here? Notorious sinners. If you are a notorious sinner here today, you are welcome in this place. You might not be drawn to me, but you would be drawn apparently to Jesus because that's what was normal standard quo for Jesus. People felt comfortable and at ease and they would often come. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Tantamount, tantamount to actually saying, I like you. I like you so much that you can actually be with me and we can share a meal together. And so finally, by Luke chapter 15, the question has been pounding, why, why, why do you do this? And so Jesus tells them a story. It goes something like this. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? He asked them. What would you do? Now, I read this first sentence here and I thought, I know what I'd do. If I had a hundred and I lost one and it was a sheep, <laughs> I'd wait till next spring. <laughs> if it was a hot day, if I'd worked a hot day, I, I ain't going looking for that thing. I'm probably going to go, mm, count my losses. Right? But not so. Not with Jesus and not in that culture. In fact, in the culture, a hundred sheep would have been a lot. You would have had sheep and goats mixed together. They're more like family pets. You would have had a small herd and you might have even known them all by name. So, of course, the thing you would do back in that culture is that won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbours saying, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. Wow. You see, this shepherd, the way he portrays it, is that he would actually go out, go beyond 
the measures and the confines of his comfort zone and he would actually go to actually rescue or connect with this little sheep. And when he found it, he'd pick it up and put it on his shoulders, would walk back and he would even say to his neighbours when he got back to the town, look what I found. Look what I found. I found my little one that was lost, returned to the rightful place where he or she should have been, a sheep. You know, on our recent trip over to the Philippines, we were invited to join a minister of a church who was living down in a real slum-like area in Manila. In fact, there was one of the places next to all the sheds where they had built, where thousands of people dwelt, that there was this pile of rubbish that had been built up over decades, I imagine, that was probably two square kilometres in height and And you had to actually walk up to the top to get there. There was no water up there. The poorest of the poor lived up there. And and the minister of this church said, today what I'd like you to do and help me, we're going to walk up this big bucket of rice and we want to feed some of the kids up there. And so we held this big bucket of rice and we, our small group, we walked all the way up. And I noticed on the way up the hill that it was all kind of, there was mud, uh, but it was soil and it was rich but, and there was things growing. There was some grasses and some trees. But as you walked along the path, you saw in the little gullies that, hey, this, this, this is a garbage tip because all of the plastic bags were layered. They weren't degrading, but everything else was. This must have been dumped here over decades. And we're walking up, we realise that there's people living up on what would have been a, a trash heap. I mean, there's things growing in there and... As we walked up to the top, we, we scooted along to this, this place in the middle. There's this really rudimentary kind of shack and, and, and the minister, the word started to get out and the kids started to gather. And this is a picture of the scene, just one of the... And as we're gathering there in this shelter, all the kids were getting close and, and the pastor, he turns to Bron and I and he goes, I want one of you to speak. <laughs> And Bron and I look at each other going, yeah, you can. No, no, you can, you can, you can, you can. can. All right, I will. And when we got up the top, he said, what I want you to do, first of all, before we feed them, I want you to get a cloth and I want you to wipe them, their hands and that so you can show them, you know, I want you to sort of kind of, you're about to eat food if we're trying to set something going here. And so all the kids that were sitting there and, and Peter and I, another guy, we were going through and were wiping their faces and their hands. And as you're doing that, you found that there were some kids who just weren't wearing any clothes whatsoever and there's a pecking order even amongst those kids. And some of them, they had lice out of their hair and, and it was just one of those places that I'm glad the wind was blowing that day. Yeah. And so he said, I want you to talk to these kids. And I'm standing there going, God, what do I say to these kids? It's all going to be interpreted. He's going to be the interpreter. And as I'm standing up on this hill and there's a picture of one of the kids that we were feeding, I had this brilliant idea. I went, God, this... I'm going to take this story and I'm going to use it for all I've got. This is my one message. And he said, okay, this is, this is Troy, Pastor Troy. He's going to share some things. We had like a little church gathering right there. And I went, okay, kids, I want to tell you a story. I want to tell you a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. And then it dawned on me, there ain't no sheep in Manila. I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I said, now hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. I want to tell you a story about a shepherd who had a hundred chickens. And Pastor Romillo turns to me and goes, chickens? I said, go with me, all right, chickens. 
There are a hundred chickens. And one of them ran off one day. We don't know why, we don't know how, it just was separated from the group. And it was just separated from the group, the shepherd, the person who was looking after the chicken coop, whatever you call that person, the chicken man, went looking for that little chicken, searched high and low, far and wide, till he found this little chicken. And he picked up this chicken, go with me, and he put it on his head, on his shoulders. And he walked back home to his village and he said, you wouldn't believe what I found. I lost one of these little chickens and I've reclaimed it. It's back in my chicken coop right now. And the point that I was trying to get across to those kids in that little place on top of that hill, and this was one of them, so one of them to know more than anything else, that there is a God who loves them and knows them too. And even in something as indiscriminate as a little chicken of little worth, that there's a God who knows you and loves you, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, he sent his son and his son comes looking for you and he died and he rose again for you and that he loves you just like that man loves that little chicken. If that loves that chicken of little value and worth, how much more does God love you? You see, you press into Jesus and you discover that he seemed to believe that people matter to God. More than anything else, people matter to God. Powerfully, rightly. You know, I felt so inadequate that day up on the hillside. So inadequate. God, I feel so inadequate. But one thing I've got, I believe you've given me, is that I've known and experienced in my life too, and it's for everyone the same. People matter. You little kids, I'm going to give you some food and I'm going to go in a few minutes time. But there's something that will remain forever. People matter to God. You matter to God. If you pressed into Jesus and you said, why, 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 why? He would say every day, swing the legs out of bed, even in the face of adversity, because people matter to God. Their past, their present and their future. An eternity with God, with him in the heavens. A present life now that mightn't be experiencing all the, the joys of life but the hardship and the past and things that happened to you or you've done that you might be ashamed of. God the same sent his son. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be made right with God and find peace with him and he loves the same. Before Christmas, we've been looking at, 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 with a group of people, representatives here at New Community, and we said, I'll tell you what, we're, we're looking at a vision next year and who and where we could be, and, and some of the guys from the executive, and they said, we want you to test three sliders with this group. The first slider is this, what's more valuable to you at New Community, buildings or people? No brainer, no brainer whatsoever. Of course, people matter, so we circle this. And then... <clears throat> Small or big? Ooh, that's a little bit harder. Small or big? Should we grow or not grow? Grow or not grow? Should we multiply out? How do we do this? And so we kind of shifted towards small, but yeah, because community matters to us here. And then the third one was this, internal or external? More energies outside or inside? On the organisation or the people yet to connect with the organisation? Hard one, yeah? 
Because our gut feel is that when you look at Jesus and he would go external, but the internal is important too. And so they said, we want to test you on these things. And I've been thinking about them. I've been thinking, if people matter to God, buildings should always come secondary. Yeah. And, and, and communities over just anonymity. And external, but internal as well. And I realise that as our culture, we are saturated with the ulterior motive, aren't we? Yeah. There's always someone. I had someone knock on the door months ago. I opened the door. I said, no, thank you. He said, but I haven't even told you what I want to offer you. I said, okay, you got a shot. <laughs> you see, we are saturated with the ulterior motive. But the thing that resonated over all of these things they said was we, whatever it is that we become, we want authenticity to be at the heart of who we are. If you pressed into Jesus, he would say, I authentically believe that people matter to God. Isn't that true of institutions? Anyone been burnt here by an institution? It's lots of focus on people and profit and power become the primary thing. Isn't that right? It shifts gradually and slowly. And they said to us, more than anything else, one of our values needs to be authentic, authentic, authentic and real. And that's what you heard from Carolyn this morning. You see, at the heart of Jesus is this passion, this, this desire, this because people matter to God. That's why I can write these words down and say, why do we exist at New Community? Look at Jesus. To make courageous followers of Jesus Christ who trust in, think like and act for him. To make courageous followers of Jesus Christ who trust in, think like and act for him. Why? Bottom line, grounded because no matter who you are, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, if you turn to him, he will forgive. He will welcome. In fact, he comes searching because people matter to God. Chris is going to come up right now. I want to finish by telling you this story. This week I received an email from a lady who was with us, a younger lady, a young woman, who was with us for a couple of years before she took a journey down to Tasmania. And this week she emailed the new community office and she said, I'll tell you what, I have been hearing and reading all the different things that you guys do externally in the community and I just want to say it's brilliant. Thank you. I love, I love receiving that stuff. Yeah, don't you? Kind of pin it on the wall when you're having one of those days. Yeah? Swing the feet out. You can pin those on, bold them. <laughs> but she said, I want to tell you my story because I interacted. I said, thank you. That's really appreciate that. She wrote these and she said, you can share this. When I was living in Melbourne, I was a very unhappy person. I was going to church and believed in Jesus, but I wasn't pursuing him. I was doing my own thing and despite having a supportive connect group and lots of awesome Christian friends, I was still desperately looking to the world to fulfill my needs. I had a number of toxic relationships and I knew that I knew were hurting me. But every time I tried to pull away, I would feel weak and worthless and end up straight back there. I decided to move to Tassie as a last ditch attempt to get away from some of these relationships. I didn't really involve God in the decision at all, but I was desperately depressed. I knew that I would have to find a way to connect into the community here, 
So I decided to check out the churches in the area purely as a social thing. I still believed, but I just never even thought that God was close to me or that he wanted to be. I was completely disconnected from him. Well, one day I went to church and the atmosphere was intense. I still remember the sermon. It was about how God has a plan for us all, but he doesn't expect us to go it alone. If we step out in faith, he will often honour that and carry us through things. Just like the Israelites, they had to be obedient to God and put their feet into the Jordan River and then God parted the waters for them. I went home and felt numb. I felt no connection to God anymore. I just felt overcome by all the bad decisions and the hurt I felt as a result of them. I remember going into my room and crying in complete surrender to God. I never ever come to him, I'd never ever come to him like that before. I just repented and told him I didn't want to do life the way I was doing it anymore. If I was to try and put this story down to a few things, I would say that God is just completely abundant in mercy and grace. I wanted to live my life my way, and I did. But when I came to him broken and completely surrendered, with a willing heart, he completely put me back together again. My life hasn't been perfect since then, but it's been so much bold type, happier. I just want to know more of Jesus now. I want to go as deep as I can go. I'm constantly amazed at the lengths he will go just to love someone. Even the little chickens. One of God's speaking to you here this morning. Mission. The desire. And you might be wondering, how do I go with that value? Is that me? As Chris quietly plays, I just want to give you some space to do some work with God. Maybe to just quietly sit. Maybe you're here this morning and the whole God thing is brand new to you. I'm so glad you're here because you get to hear that God loves you. Yeah, you're imperfect. Yeah, you're a sinner. But God loves you. He welcomes you back in an instant. In fact, he goes searching for you. Maybe you're here this morning and a new surrendered life to God is what is inviting you to do. The only thing you need to do is actually put down the defences and come to him. You see, there's no scolding of sheep with Jesus. How did you get there? Why did you do that? I told you so. None of that. He picks you up on his shoulders. He says, don't you guys get it? Heaven rejoices. God rejoices over this. Maybe you need to do some confessing. Maybe you need to do some asking and saying, God, would you help me put my priorities right? Maybe this morning you need to do a decision. I want to follow that man, Jesus. I want to get to know him. However you'd like to respond to Jesus this morning as Chris quietly plays, why don't you spend some time Join us this Wednesday, 6.30 to 8.30 to pray. You're welcome for that. It's great to connect last week. 
But why don't you, if you'd like to, speak to God now?